Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Good morning, everybody. Hope you guys are doing well. It's nice and cool here where we are, a little bit overcast. Uh, I don't know what the weather's going to be later today, but it's just kind of weird, like life right now. Uh, Some things that are happening that we want to talk to you about, and so this is how we can. Uh, For the past few years on 4th of July, what we have done is we've taken and made some gift bags for the Upland Police Department and taken them to the two shifts that meet for 4th of July. Um, This year we are doing the same thing, but what we are including this year is actually gift cards for some of the local businesses. Right now the plan is for three $10 gift cards that we will put in the bags. There are probably some other things we may put in the bag, um, but then those bags will be taken to the Upland Police Department, given to the officers so that they can go and support the local businesses here. And so uh, we're asking that you would contribute towards this. And even just in the announcement that we have made so far, I put a little video out on Instagram that went to Facebook as well. Um, We've already had a response. Uh, Gil just gave me a note saying we've received $960 from that so far. And so uh, that's been a few days. Those who have seen that video and have responded, you can go to thegenesisstory.com, find the giving tab, and then move down to the UPD fund, and you can click on that and contribute to that. Uh, you know, we want to continue to have a, a voice in our community that is one that brings peace to our community. We, we want to be someone who helps calm things rather than igniting things to be further. And so I think it's important that we do good wherever we can and to whoever we can. And it's been a conversation that has been ongoing, but this is one of the things that we've been doing. And I know a lot of you want to be a part of that. Um, Again, I've heard from some of you appreciating that we're doing this. And so if you would like to be a part of that, again, you can contribute to it. Just go to the website, uh, the giving tab, and to that fund. We will be collecting money up until July 3rd. All the monies we receive will go towards the police officers and to help the local businesses. If we get a lot more money, we'll just give more gift cards. Uh, We'll develop something like that so that we can. So anyway, that's one of the things that is out there. We want you to be aware of. Also, because we don't yet know when we can move forward and actually start meeting, um, 
I talked with the leadership. We had a Zoom call last week, and we talked about, well, what can we do? Uh, what are some ideas that we have? Well, we can go to a park maybe, or we can try and go out in the parking lot. But if it's a sunny day, we're all going to bake out there. And we just cannot meet in our building and be distancing from each other. Uh, our insurance carrier sent us an email suggesting what we should do so that we can maintain uh, not only safety for one another, but so that they can cover us, I guess, for insurance. Um, and there was like 113 square feet per person, right? In our building, that's like 10 people, right? And so there's no way that we could do that and keep that distancing. But we want to do what we can. And, and so we're trying to find ways to connect. One of the things that we would want to encourage is for you to meet Get a handful of people, maybe 10 people together that you are comfortable with, people who are already in your social circle. Um, you probably have family members. There are probably a few friends. And get together with them and meet. And one of the things you can do is meet together and then maybe talk over some of the things that we talk about here Sunday morning, uh, what things you get out of it, what questions you have, um, things that you agree, disagree with, or want to carry further, and have these conversations on your own. We can't publicize it because then it defeats the purpose. You know, hey, everyone, Brian's meeting somewhere and then you have 30 people and you're no longer social distancing. Um, but you can meet at parks, right? You can meet at different places and you can maintain kind of safe distancing. But more importantly, you need to connect. We need to connect with people. Another thing that we're trying to do to bring some connection and just keep you up to speed with what's happening is we're putting together a newsletter. Right now it'll be once a month, but maybe it'll develop into something more. If you would like to be receiving the newsletter, then please email it to email your email to us so that we can email the newsletter to you. And you can reach us at info at thegenesisstory.com. That's our email address. And if you send us an email and just put newsletter on that, we will put you on the list. And then come the next month in July, I've already got something put out. We'll send you the newsletter. I mean, this next month, we're going to be talking about some of the things I just mentioned with our meeting times and spaces. We're going to also have a brief year financial review of 2019. We haven't done that in a while, just to let you guys know where financially things are, as well as a few other things that we're going to put there. We're going to keep it simple. We're going to keep it brief. But any new things that come up, we can then communicate to you through the newsletter. I know some of you uh, don't um, do social media a lot. Don't blame me right now. Social media is a little heavy, um, but it's a way to connect, right? It's just another thing we can do. And so this might be something that you can do at this time so that we can encourage you to kind of be part of what is happening. We also want to let you know that we can still give online. There's a number of things. You can go to thegenesisstory.com. We also have now a Venmo. You can Venmo at Genesis Community and look for our logo. We have the Zella with the info at thegenesisstory.com and then our 
mailing address. You could always mail things here, but these are other ways that uh, you can continue to contribute to Genesis. And I do want to thank all of you who have been faithfully giving. I mean, we are still doing okay because you guys are carrying this, right? And so thank you for that. We definitely want to do more like what we're doing with the police officers in the local community. And maybe that's just the beginning to a lot of things that we can do to try and help businesses in our community as well as encourage one another. So those are the announcements that I have so far. Um, I'm probably forgetting something, but that's what I can remember. So that's it. It's been an interesting couple of weeks. It's actually been an interesting few months, but the last few weeks have been interesting because I have gotten so much feedback from quite a few of you on on the topics, everything from the COVID and then the the racial tension and now the political uh, just demeanor that's happening here or divide. I have gotten more... feedback than usual. And it's been so varied. It's kind of polarized in some ways where I've got so many people who are just saying, thank you so much. I appreciate the things that you have been talking about. I appreciate your conversation with Justin. And it meant so much to me to hear you addressing these things in a way that I felt represented Jesus. And then I've had a number of people also saying, you know, We don't need to hear all of this. We just need to hear Bible study or hear the word of God. And it's been, again, tastefully, I don't think anyone's been mad at me um, or mean to me. Um, Except, no, I was going to say something. Anyway, um, I'm not going to do that. Anyway, it's been... I felt, you know, in a good spirit. No one has been hostile. Again, thank you. I don't like hostility towards me, but... It's just interesting how these things are stirring us up in so many ways. Um, I think the important question to ask is when things strike us in a certain way, why do we get upset? Why does it push those buttons? And there are these hot topics, right? Politics is definitely one of those things. Racism is one of those things. Abortion is another thing. Uh, Regime change war could be a thing. Homosexuality, immigration. There are certain hot topics that when someone talks about it, if they don't say what we like or what we are thinking is right, it upsets us. It doesn't just, you know, make us want to have a conversation. It pushes our buttons. It ignites something about us. And this is happening on both extremes, right? Some people are like, oh, right, I like this. I hate this and vice versa. What is it about those things? And why do we have that response? And, you know, it's happening in our country. What is the the reason we are seeing such volatile expressions take place, right? Some people are saying it's some demonic force. Is it or is it us, right? Is it, you know, the God of this world and spiritual darkness or is it our own hearts that are darkened, our, our pride not wanting to bend to another way of thinking or is it both? 
there's so much going on. And it's interesting because it's been mostly generational as far as the responses, where older people want to maintain a, a way of doing things, and then the younger people are wanting to push for change, right? It's like the prophet Bob Dylan says, the order is rapidly fading. The first one now will later be last for the times they are changing, actually quoting Jesus there. But do we ever stop to ask ourselves why we believe what we believe and why are we holding on to the things that we're holding on to, right? Most of us have inherited much of what we believe from our parents or from where we've been brought up in church or wherever, and it's either in agreement or in protest, right? I was brought up this way, but I didn't like it, so I protested, or I brought up this way, and so I'm holding on to these things. And and oftentimes what I hear is Christians saying, well, I believe the Bible. And that always strikes me because it's as if the Bible was a book of arithmetic where two plus two always equals four and everyone is always going to see things the same way. But that is not the case. And we know it's not the case. If it was, why would there be so many denominations, right? Why do you have uh, the Christian Bible? Why do you have the Catholic Bible? We were even just talking about the Apocrypha. Ben dropped by here a little bit to say hi. Um, why do you have a certain way of seeing it, whether it be from a Pentecostal view or a Baptist view or a Lutheran view or a Reformed view or an Episcopalian view, right? There's so much subjectivity that we bring into these conversations when we start talking about things. And so... Why do so many people who call themselves Christians study the Bible believe so differently? And why do we always say, well, they're wrong and I'm right, right? It always comes to this place where this is how I see it, and then we try and put that on other people. We tend to seek out others who believe like us because it gives us a sense of security. I mean, and it also helps us to be able to accomplish things when people are in agreement but we have to ask the question, why is there such diverse thinking? Why why do I think the way I think? And this is kind of leading to what we started last week in review of the then and now is there was a way of thinking and then Jesus starts introducing a new way of thinking. You've heard it said, but I say to you, he would bring about these things because Jesus challenged the traditions and belief that was held by those who believed the scriptures and studied them, right? And so we, we talked about John chapter nine, where the disciples asked Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, the reason they asked that question wasn't because they were superstitious, it's because that was a belief system that was held. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 5, it says, you shall not bow down to them or serve them. This is talking about idolatry. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations to those who hate me. God's saying that there is judgment on the children's children of those who 
turn away from him, right? There is this generational curse. Now, there were those who interpreted this passage and others like it in Exodus 34 to be one where when they see a person who was lame or blind or had some kind of uh, abnormality, deformity, sickness, that it was because of sin, either their sin or their parents' sin, and this was a generational curse that was there. Now, of course, there are consequences to the things that we do, and of course, there are things that we get from our parents, right? Habits, whether they're bad or not. Um, you know, we we know that alcoholism seems to to go along with, you know, the children, and it seems to be something that starts developing. But that's not really what Exodus is talking about. Exodus is talking about God pronouncing judgment on people and that judgment falling even past them to their children. But then you've got Ezekiel. And Ezekiel in chapter 18, he says, the soul who sins shall die. The son shall not suffer the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. And so now you've got years later the prophet saying, you know what, you're responsible for you, and they're responsible for them. What happened to this, you know, iniquity of the father on their children thing? What happened to that? And again, we start to see that God is a slippery one, right? That he just can't be completely figured out in how this works. And so the disciples were asking something based on what they saw, but now Jesus is saying, I want to bring clarity to you. And this is the point. If we are followers of Christ, then we are going to take how Jesus sees life and the world to be one that we follow. And how, how Jesus interprets the scripture is how we see scripture to be interpreted. And when Jesus was confronted with this generational question, he said, this man didn't sin or his parents, but God is doing something and you are going to see it take place. In other words, it's not about the past, it's about the present, and it's about the future. It's about here and what can be done now. And Jesus brings this about, and, and this isn't new. This is something that we saw take place with the children of Israel in Exodus. You know, the Passover, an amazing and an enormous feast for the, the Jewish people, a celebration, the Passover was never said to take place because Israel sinned, right? It, it didn't happen because, well, we sinned and now we have to, you know, repent of this sin. No, they were looking for corn because there was famine and it led them there and then this things happened, but then God shows up and delivers them. Passover was never about forgiveness. And Genesis makes no connection between that and all those years of slavery, when they took back the things that they had, this is because we've sinned. They just heard there was corn in Egypt. We just need to go and find help. That's what they did. We, we saw the same thing in Acts 11 with the church in Antioch. There was famine in Jerusalem and going to be famine. There wasn't, well, who sinned? 
Was it the Jews? Was it the Romans? Was it these people? Why did this happen? There was, what can we do to help? And so this is the posture we see of Jesus. This is the posture we see of the church. And we find ourselves in a place now where there is a pandemic and there is tension and there is struggle and a lot of questions. Why is this happening? What's going on? Why is this happening? Why is God allowing these things to happen? Is God punishing us because we've done these certain things? And again, you can start hitting the hot button topics and you'll get all kinds of response. Yes, it's because of this. It's because we haven't done this. Oh, it's because we have done these things. But Jesus doesn't go there. He says, no, God is working here and we're working too. God is wanting to do something and we get to now be a part of that work. And so we see Jesus' followers telling people about God's kingdom, telling them to repent, not because there was a famine or it was gonna be a plague or a pandemic or COVID-19 or racial tension, but because Jesus himself has come. They were to turn and follow the way of Jesus, which was to love God and people. And that brings us to what I want to talk about today, how we, as followers of Jesus, should approach the question before us today of what's going on. Why is this happening? Or is that the question we should ask? Maybe the question we should ask is, what is God doing? And I'm, I'm, I know I'm going to challenge most of us in what we have learned in some ways. And I know this aggravates some of you, and I'm sorry. Um, I'm trying to be genuine. I'm, I'm trying to understand what God is saying and how it fits in our lives. I'm, I'm hungry to know what's true. And I don't want to conform to something I was taught and get comfortable with something if God is trying to say something else. I don't want to become irrelevant. And that's what we see happen many times as the world starts changing and people refuse to, or the church refuses to, we see the church become irrelevant, right? As Erwin McManus says, the church loved their pews more than their children. And so... They lost the generation. And and probably the most well-known book written by the Apostle Paul is the book of Romans. And probably the most well-known chapter in that book is Romans chapter 8. And chapter 8 is what we're going to be looking at. And it is full of faith. It is full of hope. It is full of love. And it begins with this great declaration that there is now, therefore, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That God has condemned sin in the death of Jesus and gave his people the spirit as the guarantee of being raised from the dead. And it ends with this incredible praise and celebration. In verse 37, it says, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I mean, those words just like, oh, shake you, right? It's like, man, that is beautiful. That is powerful. 
And Paul describes in this chapter how all of Jesus' followers have received God's Spirit and are being led by God's Spirit to an inheritance. That inheritance in verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And so we see that this inheritance that awaits us, suffering is a part of it. Suffering seems to be a normal thing for those who follow Jesus. But he quickly adds in verse 18 that our suffering is not worthy to be compared with the glory that is be revealed in us. And so we need to understand that we are heirs, but our inheritance is not heaven. The glory that is to be revealed in us is not us going to heaven. It is the whole of renewed creation, complete heaven and earth reality, renewed from top to bottom and throughout as seen in Revelation 21, with the corruption and death abolished forever. The glory revealed in us is the renewing of all things by God through us. And the early church and Paul in this chapter are not describing us going to heaven where everything is gonna be better. He is describing something I believe much bigger. And, and, and this is where I think we have to see that how we see God working or how we see our role is so important to how we show up in the conversations that are taking place around us. Because if our perception is we are saved so we can get out of here and go to heaven, then we are going to miss the opportunities that are present for us right here, right now in the mess of things because God is working in this mess and it is through the suffering that our inheritance is brought about. He's describing heaven coming down, heaven coming down to earth at last so that as in the promise, the whole earth would be filled with his glory. How is the whole earth filled with his glory? That's what the psalmist said in Psalm 72. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Isaiah says, chapter 11, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters covered the sea. Let me ask you, how is the earth gonna be aware of the knowledge of God? If we all just go. Who's gonna tell people? More importantly, who's gonna show people what this looks like if it is not those who are following after God and following the steps of Christ. If this is going to take place, it's going to take place in and through us. Now, there's a lot we still don't fully understand, at least me, of how this is going to look and, and what's all gonna take place. But I think what's important here is that the glory that we are crowned with is that of Jesus and not of heaven. What does Jesus' reign look like? How does Jesus rule? Right? There, there was 
the thought of God ruling in the world and how he was going to do it, many times just that word rule brings into it what we think of rulers, what we think of as kingdoms, right? And this is where some think that if God rules the world, then everything that happens, coronavirus, rioting, things are all because God is allowing it to happen and is trying to teach us something. And again, I'm not going to begin to say that I know what God or can or cannot do or all that is in the mind of God, but I'm just trying to follow after Jesus and his example. And it seems to me that it shouldn't be the only thought process that we have is to take an excuse that, okay, this is happening. God wants it to happen. It's going to happen. In this chapter, verse 19, Paul says that for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. The creation is waiting for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. That's pretty powerful because that that means something is supposed to be happening in those who are the children of God. There, There is supposed to be something happening within us that the world needs and is waiting for. Verse 20 says, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage of corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Again, we see that there is a centrality that God is doing something and he's doing something through his children. He's doing something in us that is supposed to show up in creation, that God from creation intended that the whole created world would be put into place by those who were created in his image, by us. That we were the ones that God intended from the very beginning in the garden to take care of the world. That there's a responsibility that belongs to us that we can't shrug off, we can't ignore, that we can't say, oh, well, God just is going to do whatever God's going to do. No, there is a responsibility that we are supposed to have in this. And this was completely fulfilled in Jesus. And the way creation will at last become what it's meant to is going to be through the wise, rescuing, healing, restorative rule of renewed human beings. Those indwelt by the spirit of God, like Jesus, image-bearing children of God who bring about the kingdom of heaven on earth. We live the way Jesus lived. We heal as Jesus would want us to heal. Why would Jesus say these works and greater things you will do? What are the greater things that we are supposed to do? What, What is supposed to take place? It is supposed to be the furthering of what Jesus started. How is that showing up? How is it happening in us? I mean, we we see these glimpses of these things throughout history. 
where the church, even as I talked about last week, would, would go to where those were hurting and bring healing to them. And people would look at them and say, look at what these Christians are doing. They're taking care of our sick, even though they don't belong to them. Taking care of the orphans, taking care of the widows, developing, building hospitals, helping those who are in need. They have this, this mindset that people really matter that God really cares about everyone, even the marginalized, even those who are crying from Egypt, even those who are crying in places of discrimination, even those who are crying in retirement homes who have no voice. God hears their voice. What's this to look like? It means that when the world is going through a pandemic and going to hell in a handbasket, when there's riotous upheaval, when, when there is political divide, when things are exploding all around us, that the followers of Jesus are called to be people who bring prayer and peace to where there is pain. The only way we can do that is to step into it. Paul describes it like this. He describes it as the groaning of the world, the groaning of the church, his followers, the groaning of the spirit within the church. So instead of interpreting our our current world condition as being the beginning of the end, I think Paul has a different perspective. And I think he gives it to us in this chapter. In verse 22, he says, we know that The whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. He goes on in verse 26. In the same way, the spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches the hearts knows the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. We see the world around us groaning. We see a world in pain. We see people isolated. Suicide is rampant. My son just told me of a person who's in recovery groups. They're having to meet online, and so many of them are not getting the connection that they need, that they know of a couple of people who have been just a part of their groups who have committed suicide because they are going through such severe depression. We have a world in groaning, people who have lost family members who weren't able to be at their side while they were in the hospital dying. We, we have groanings where people who are now finding out that they might have the virus and are having to be segregated, secluded, and, and just sequestered to this place of isolation until they can find out what's happening. And we're living with this fear hovering over us. Death is in the air and wondering what's going on. We have a world that is groaning in a way that I've never seen before. I know it's happened before, but I've never seen it like it is now. This is new for most of us. 
seeing things how they, how they are, hundreds of thousands of deaths, millions of people stressed. The loss of jobs, the loss of businesses, the loss of security, the sleeplessness. It's just telling Brian, man, I, I can't sleep. It's so bizarre. This whole thing is just weird. Some are standing on the sidelines pointing out all the things that are wrong. Well, it's these people, right? It's this political party. Oh, it's the Chinese. Oh, it's this. Everyone's trying to throw out this blame. God's judging these people because they've done these things. Paul says that the followers of Jesus are in the middle of it all groaning. Just like Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus. Before he said anything, he wept. We're painfully aware of the chasm between the people we are now, which is weak, frail, and broken, and the people that we shall be, which is resurrected to the glory of God's intention for us. And we long for that, and we wait for that, and we hunger for that, and we groan for that. Right now, we share the groaning of creation. And this tells us exactly where we are to be at times like this, in the middle of the pain, in the middle of the hurt. We should be interceding. We, we should be praying. But how? We don't even know what to pray for as we should. I don't have an answer I don't know how to comfort so many of you that are going through so many difficult things. There are no words, and often there aren't when extreme hardship takes place. Words can't fill the needs that are there. When, when my family and I were around my mom when she passed away, when it happened, we didn't console each other with words. We didn't say, it's okay, she's in a better place now. All we did was hug each other and cry. We, we just sat in the middle of it together because that's all we could do. But maybe that's what we need to do. And I think this is important. Not knowing what to do is actually the right place to be. And that's so contrary to the way we think. We think that you have to have the answer. We think that you have to be able to have the plan to make things all better. But right here, it seems to be that not knowing is the place, right? When I have deep pain, what I need more than an answer is someone to be present. Someone to be there with me. Someone to, to hurt when I hurt. Someone to, to weep when I weep. When we find ourselves groaning, not knowing what to say, we find that God himself, the Holy Spirit, is groaning as well. And I love that it says he's groaning without words. He's not giving us an answer. He's not giving us a Bible verse. He's just groaning without words. You see, there's an empathy that's taking place there. there there's a, a connection that happens through this that is meant to happen, I believe, in us. This is where I want to challenge maybe what we've been taught or, or how we think of these things, right? That 
the, the sayings that everything happens for a reason or God has a plan or God's on the throne, right? All these things. What does that mean? It's supposed to bring some kind of comfort that everything's going to be okay. You know, sometimes it's not okay. Sometimes it just stinks. Sometimes it just hurts. Sometimes there isn't an easy path through this. Sometimes you're not going to get out of this. But what's going to happen is I'm going to groan with you through it. I'm going to be there and I'm going to go through this suffering because you're suffering because that's what Jesus does for us. That's what the Spirit does for us. He groans in ways that can't be uttered. There are no words for what happens. And sometimes there just isn't. And we don't need to look for words. We don't need to come up with, quote, little sayings or or little snippets to make us feel better. Sometimes we just need to sit in it and not be like Job's friends. You know, if you wouldn't have done this, this wouldn't happen. Or, you know, if this party wasn't here, we shouldn't have done this, right? The God who groans without words, the God who weeps at the tomb, I have no words to what it all means. If I do, they're probably hollow babblings, just grasping for some sense of security to make myself feel better. But all's not well. And all I have is groanings with creation. And at the same point, I discovered that the spirit is there groaning with us. And this is our job. This is our vocation to be in prayer, perhaps wordless prayer, at the point where the world is in pain. To listen to the lonely voice on the other end of the phone as they vent their pain. I had a a client call me, someone whose dog I trained four years ago. An elderly woman, she's in a wheelchair And she called me because part of my training is if you have any problems, you can always call me later on for the rest of your dog's life. And so she called me to tell me about a problem with her dog. And the problem with the dog wasn't a real big problem. But then she talked to me for a half hour about what was going on with her, about how she's not able to get out, about how she's in her wheelchair. See, she just wanted to talk to someone. She really didn't care about an answer for her dog. She just needed someone to talk to because she was lonely. I, I needed to be someone, I, I, I could have said, you know, is that all, ma'am? Is that all you need to do? I had to talk with her because that's what we can do, is sit there and listen to a woman who's lonely, who's calling a dog trainer from four years ago, just have a voice in her life. Jesus was hailed as the king of the Jews. when he shared the agony of Israel and the world on the cross. This is the redefinition of control. You want to see how God's in control? You want to talk about God's sovereignty, which we see in the rest of the New Testament, but so clearly in Jesus himself, it shows up by suffering for those in need. And here's the mystery. God the Father knows the Spirit's mind, but the mind of the Father knows is the mind that doesn't know what to say. What God knows is that there are no words. 
What God knows is there's nothing that can be said. What sovereignty looks like is a God who goes to a cross and dies. What control looks like is no words, no pat answers, but presence. Could it be that God, the creator, at a time when the world is in turmoil, is actually in tears? Could it be that that is God's expression to the world isn't to fix it, but to sit with it in the pain while still being the God who is sovereign? That seems to be John's thoughts with Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus. seems to be Paul's point here in Romans. See, maybe instead of giving our advice and our snippet answers and our, our scripture verses to make everyone feel better, maybe we should just be quiet and cry. Maybe we should be quiet and lament and listen and feel and groan. Maybe that's what we need to do more than anything else. Because I'm hearing too many voices And I'm tired of the voices when my spirit is groaning and I don't have words. What I need isn't voices and more words. What I need is to know that the spirit himself is groaning and giving purpose and meaning, but without words. I think there's a danger in speaking confident words to a world that's hurting. The danger is distorting the character and heart of God. The the danger is to, to belittle what is happening to those around us and what they're feeling, whatever is going on. I, I think there's a danger in misrepresenting God that we believe he needs to be in control and have it all together the way we think that looks like. Right? This is what I think God should do. This is what I think the Bible says. This is what I am going to give. And so here's my snippet answer to make everyone feel better when we are bleeding. But the way I think and the way Jesus looks is often so very different. Jesus doesn't act the way a ruler should act. Jesus doesn't behave the way a normal king behaves. This isn't how God should do things in my perspective. And here we need to look at probably the most famous passage in Romans. It's verse 28, and you're familiar with this. We know that all those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, this has been a go-to verse for myself and so many of you in so many ways. And it's basically our way of saying, you know, it's all gonna work out for the best. You know, to comfort ourselves at times just like this, right? Well, God's working it all out for the good. And I know I'm, I'm treading on sacred territory for so many of us. Because it's been that for me. Again, I don't give these things up and just say, huh, there it is. I I struggle through these things as I'm learning and I'm trying to figure it out. Sometimes it's something that rips inside of me and it has to grow. And for there to be growth or new life, sometimes there has to be a death of something that I held sacred. And, 
and I don't want to make little of something that's meant a lot to you. I want to make something mean more. I want to give it depth. I want to give it roots. I want this verse to change our lives for real. But is this comfort really to say that, well, God's doing something and it's all going to work out for good? Is that the way we see Jesus bringing comfort? Is it a passive acceptance of a world in pain? I'm not going to bore you with a list of scholarly uh, books and things to follow up on what I'm going to say. Just know that I'm not just coming up with this on my own. If you want to find out more scholastically where to go to this, you can look up N.T. Wright's book, uh, God in the Pandemic. He's got a lot of information, but let's break it down a little bit. What is the subject of verse 28? Is it all things? No, it's been God all along. It was God in, in verses 27, God after in verse 29 and 30, and even in the verse itself, God refers to himself, him, his purpose. So, so God is at the subject. And when we make all things the subject of the verse, we lose the direction of the verse. The words work together. All things work together actually means works with. We see this in a number of places. Second Corinthians chapter six, verse one says, working together with God, right? Working together with him, with God. It's the same words. It's working not for, but working together. And I I know this is again, challenging, but I don't wanna believe that this verse is a passive case, sirrah, sirrah, whatever will be, will be. God's just doing something. We can't do anything about it. It's just what it is. What if instead it's actually saying, which is what many believe that it is, God works all things towards ultimate good with and through those who love him. What, what if instead of it being God's going to work something, it's saying God is working something with me, with you, through me, through you. God is working all things together with those who love him and are called according to his purposes. This is what Paul wrote. And 1 Corinthians 3, 9, for we are God's fellow workers, right? We are God's field, God's building, right? And you'll see this in the margins of the NIV and other translations. It means something totally different if God works all things with those who love him instead of for those. So this isn't about me getting this comfort that, oh, well, God's going to make it all happen. This is an invitation to be a part of what God is doing and what is happening. And it starts with groaning. And it starts with a difficulty. God knowing that God is at work in us and that work takes us to places of suffering like James talks about. 
The last verse, who are called according to his purpose, then seems to be describing not God's purposes for these people, but his purposes through these people, which is us. And now this verse is pregnant with the same groanings that the earth is pregnant with waiting for something. It is pregnant with possibility of what we get to be a part of and what God is doing. God called them to be part of his saving purpose for a suffering world. And you cannot do that without stepping into the suffering. That is what Jesus has shown us. That is the example of Christ. That is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We will not have words to speak, but we have work to do in healing, teaching, comforting those in pain. These all grow out of lamenting, sorrow, empathy with, not just a judgment against. Paul is giving us a a Jesus-shaped picture of a suffering, redeeming, providing God through his people that aren't just spectators or beneficiaries, but are participants. And see, this is, this is what makes me uncomfortable is God's raising the bar for me to live. I, I liked it down here. I like, this is, God's working for me, all things. I can't do anything, but God's doing something. But now Jesus is saying, wait, 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 wait. I, I'm doing something and it's big. It's a whole new creation, but I'm doing it with those who love me. And it says at the end, called according to his purposes. Romans 8 is an invitation for us to participate in what God is doing in a hurting world. May we have the courage to step into that. Let's pray. God, I really don't like being challenged by you sometimes because you you seem to ask more of me than I think I am able to give. And I find myself in a place where I am bankrupt I remember your words, blessed are the poor in spirit. I seem to be in a place where this is difficult and it hurts. And I remember your words, blessed are those who mourn. I feel you are calling me to to live at a level that I can't attain. Your words, blessed are those who are hunger and thirst for justice, for righteousness. And you are always pulling me up where I'm wanting to sit and finally just say, can I just, can I just rest here? And you're saying, no, there, there's a lot to do. There are a lot of people hurting. And you're calling us to step into it. 
But God, we are not stepping into it alone. And the groanings that the world has is the groanings that we have and the groanings that you interpret, but without words, to know that you are in our midst. You feel the pain, that you weep at the tombs, that you cry by the bedsides. You don't give just answers. You give comfort in your presence, and then you bring healing. Help us to be that, Lord. Even as we look more into what we can do, God, we realize the first thing we need to do is cry. Prayers of tears, because that's all we can offer. Lord, maybe that's where we need to start. Help me to understand that when I want to so quickly go to a place of excuse and answers and blame. To point out all the injustices that are out there. God, there are more injustices taking place than we will ever be able to figure out or remedy. begins with the tears. So Father, may you empower us to be an example how you're working all things together for good with those who love you and are called according to your purposes. May we, like Isaiah, say, here am I, Lord. Send me, even if it is in tears, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. May we follow the Spirit's example who groans with us without words. May we step into the lives of those around us with the compassion and the love of God. May we weep with those who weep and laugh with those who laugh. May we bring God's love with us and work things out for good as we are called according to his purposes. God bless you guys. Love you guys. Thank you for being here with us. You have been listening to the Genesis podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.